I invite you today to turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to spend a few moments of this preaching hour. 2 Peter chapter 3. If anybody in the early church knew about the importance of being alert, it's the Apostle Peter. Whenever you look at Peter's life, uh, you remember his life because he has so many highlights that continuously reminds us about ourselves, of who we are. Peter is one of the good characters that we can look at, and he's writing the second epistle uh, to the churches. You know Peter and his tendency to feel overconfident about himself, even when danger was drawing near. Peter was always overconfident. Remember these highlights of Peter? He rushed ahead uh, when we should have waited. Peter, he slept when he should have prayed. <laughs> Peter, he talked when he should have listened. Peter was courageous, but also was very careless. And now Peter writes these two epistles. We have learned many lessons from him. First Peter chapter 1, the Bible teaches us that he's been writing about the grace of God. In this second epistle, he's writing about the knowledge of God. But not only the knowledge of intellect, he's writing about the knowledge of how we should really live out the truth of the knowledge that we know. Because in Second Peter, there were many people coming and trying to distort the truth of the gospel. Many people were coming and bringing him wrong theology, so he is encouraging the church, and I pray today that we will be encouraged. Before we read God's Word, I'm asking you today, if you're watching online at our Warrington campus and those of us in the room, I'm asking that you will make a decision. You will make a decision because the time is of essence. We are living in very urgent times. And I'm afraid that if you and I stumble and become so lackadaisical in making important decisions, it will really harm you. But not only harm you, it will harm your destination for eternity. Second Peter chapter 3, and I like to read verse number 8 to verse number 10. This is what the Bible reads for us. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord the one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief at night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We catch this teaching in Second Peter chapter 3. There's many people who are coming and bringing a false gospel to the church. And now the Christians are becoming frustrated living in the in-between. The resurrection 
and the in-between that Jesus is coming back to take his church to be with him for eternity. So there's a lot of people in this context are telling the church, Jesus is not coming back for you. He's not coming back. So don't worry and look forward to the second coming of Jesus because he's not coming. The apostle Peter, because he was an eyewitness together with Jesus, is writing on first account because he was amongst Jesus. He's writing to the Christians because of the frustration about living in the in-between, in between the resurrection and Christ's second coming. Many people ask me, Sean, are we living in the last days? I said, yeah. The last days began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ until the day he comes back. It is the last days. Amen? And the Bible records for us a day is like a thousand years. So I don't know God's calendar, but all I know, it's a long time. And I want to encourage you today from God's word that Jesus is coming back. I cannot be more emphatic to point you to Scripture that Jesus is coming back. The Bible records for us the first two chapters of perfect relationships and the last three chapters in Revelation of perfect relationships. And everything in between, we are all messed up trying to figure it out. But praise be to Jesus that in the middle of the mess, Jesus enters the scene. And when Jesus comes, everything is changed. So there's a wedding ceremony at the beginning of the Bible, and there's a wedding ceremony at the end of the Bible. Now, every wedding ceremony you go to, it's a love story. It's not a horror story. Amen? Let's try that again. Every marriage you go to, it's a love story, not a horror story. I'm afraid, church of the living God, that when Jesus is going to come back to be with his bride, many of you in the room are afraid for you it's going to be a horror story. Many of you are watching online and you aren't ready to receive Jesus Christ when he comes for the bride. For you, it's not going to be a love story. It's going to be a horror story. I'm glad I have your attention. Because what seems to take so long is just a moment with God. Throughout scriptures, God is neither slow nor forgetful. I'm glad I have a God who does not forget about me. He's not slow to come to me. He is not faithless to us. He is faithful to us. This one morning, John Tyne and I were walking, and we began to talk, and a lot of people are asking, why does Jesus don't do something? Why don't God just do something in this world? Look all around you and the pain that we find ourselves in. God, why don't you just do something about this? And John reminded me, he did. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1 and verse number 29 
So God did something. He sent his one and only son. And if you are here today, I'm asking you to make a decision, a decision that will change your path in your life. It will change your path with everyone around you, and it will change your destination. <laughs> it may even change your marriage from horror to love right now. <laughs> So allow me today to submit to you three narratives in the Bible, two attributes of God, and one action step you must take. We're talking about the patience of God. The patience of God. Oh, I thank God that he is very patient with me. If God was not patient with me, I would not be standing here with you. But because of God's patience with Sean, he waited and he waited. He was gracious and he was gracious until the time I finally gave up at the age of 16. And I said, yes, Jesus, you are alive. Help me to follow you. And I pray today that that decision will be yours. Aren't you amazed of how patient God is? how long-suffering God is, allow me today to submit to you three narratives from the Bible. The first narrative we find in Exodus chapter 3 from verse number 7 to 9. Moses and uh, at the burning bush. Now you know the story. The people of Israel are bondage in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. The Pharaoh has changed and now he wants to really make the people of Israel slaves in that land because the, Israel, the Israelites are growing so fast in that land. And so what happens? Every day, Israelites, God's people, are slaves in the land of Egypt. 400 years. And I'm sure the nation of Israel is thinking about the promise of God. Being enslaved for 400 years. But Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 7, allow me to read for you. A, a big twist in the story has happened. So God is patient. God is patient. God is patient. And while all this pain is going on in Egypt, and the people are crying to God, on this side, God is preparing a Moses. God is preparing a Moses, and you know this birth of Moses and how Moses grew up and the patience of God that God had on Moses. Now Moses is tending his sheep in the book of Exodus, and he finds a burning bush. And in that burning bush, that bush is not being consumed by the fire. And God says, Moses, take off your sandals, for where you are standing is holy ground. And so Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 7, this is what God says. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard the cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. In verse number 9, the cry of my people has finally reached me. The cry of my people has finally reached me. God is about to do something. 
And I'm here to remind you, church of the living God, my brothers and sisters, God is patient, he's patient, he's patient, and one day God is going to do something. And so Moses is in awe, standing at the burning bush, and he's like, wow, God, you really want to do something? Yes, because the nation of Israel was slaving during the day and praying during the night. If God's people, if their cry have reached God, where do they find time for prayer? Who has been crying out to God that God finally heard them? There was a remnant, even in slavery, never stop praying. Even in bondage and hardships, never stop praying because you could be a slave at day, you can be a prayer warrior at night. And I believe somewhere in the nation of Israel, there were prayer gatherings happening all over Egypt that the people of Israel were bowing their heads to their God who always keeps his promise. And now God has finally heard the prayer of his people. God is patient. So calling Moses was answering the prayer of his people that were in, 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 in Egypt. I want to encourage you today, my friends, never stop praying because God is preparing a Moses to walk into your situation. God is patient, he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and at the right time, he's looking for a Moses. He found a Moses, and you know what happened to the story afterwards. Moses goes with his brother Aaron, leads the people of Israel out of bondage through the Red Sea, water from the rock, feeding his people, taking care of them in the wilderness. But come back, the patience of God is so, so important. The patience of God. We see it all over the Old Testament. We notice that God is never in a hurry, but he is never also too late. And sometimes what you and I, we want our prayer life to be like the one in the microwave. You just submit it, and 60 seconds later, you want it delivered. God is never in a hurry. A day is like a thousand years. See, if God said, I will answer tomorrow, wait a thousand years. <laughs> I hope not. He's never in a hurry. Listen to this word, he's never late. Look at the Old Testament, it's full of stories. Look at Abraham and Isaac. God, I don't have a son, and now you bless me with a son. Now you want me to take him up the mountain and give him as a sacrifice? Yes, Lord, I'll take my son. And Isaac was laying there at the right time, not in a hurry. I wish, I wish that anxiety for Abraham's sake came earlier and also for Isaac's sake. But that story is so powerful because you remember the story. At the right time, there was a lamb. A life of faith is living in the strength of a promise. The nation of Israel lived a life of faith because of the strength of a promise. And God is a promise-keeping God. He's patient. First narrative. Second narrative. Oh, let's go to the book of Jonah. Jonah and Nineveh. Second narrative. 
You know the story very well. God sends Jonah to the notorious city of Nineveh, but Jonah runs instead. So God sends a storm and fish to rescue Jonah from his disobedience. Got a little bit creative for his disobedience, right? God tells Jonah the second time, and finally Jonah gives in and he obeys. Then God rewards Jonah's obedience. But in Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1, I'm going to teach a quick lesson here. God is calling us to respond to a city. Now that city does not look desirable to us. That city, like Nineveh, a lot of people don't know God, more everyone don't know God, and they're worshiping idols. And God is calling a Jonah to go and tell them that salvation is at hand. Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm not going. Well, it's not a good idea to say no to God, okay? Just, just. Jonah goes off and says, I'm run away from you. He wasn't a whale of a problem. Whale swallowed him and brought him back. And he went into this place because Jonah told God, I am not like those people. I follow you. Why are you being so patient with them? Oh, you are a Jonah yet today? You want God to be patient with you, but you don't want to be patient with others. Oh, Lord, help us. God, I don't want to go that side of town and tell them about the gospel. Then our church will be different. Our nursery will be different. They're going to change our church. And God is saying, Jonah, remember how patient I was with you? And put your name in this story. Remember how patient I was with you? When you in your sin and your filth, when no one gave you a chance, Jonah, I loved you. Now I'm calling you to go to that same people who was like you at one time and give them the opportunity that you have. Now take it to them. Oh, what a missional passage. Because you have been with Jesus, now go and be with people so that they can be with Jesus. They may not look like you, they may not talk like you, they may not drive the car that you drive, but they need Jesus. Oh, the patience of God. In chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible records to us, Jonah was, but it displeased Jonah and he was angry at God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And Jonah was angry that God would save a people like Nineveh. Oh, the patience of God. God's relentless pursuit of Nineveh shows I called my servant one time, he didn't listen. I love them so much, I'll call my servant a second time, make the journey more exciting, put him in the belly of a fish, bring him out, now go back, and tell the people that I love on the west side of town that I love you. And many of us today, we look at the city and say, Jesus, these people are all sinful people. Look at the way they dress. Wipe them out. Ah! 
Because if God had to come right now, we would all be in trouble if we got sin laying in our hearts. The patience of God. The patience of God. Being so patient, not only with Nineveh, being so patient with Jonah. Because Jonah, some people teach us by example, Jonah teaches us by his weakness. What kind of prophet gets mad at God for saving people? Don't be like that. Jesus, when he rode into the city, he wept over the city. Today, when we ride in our city, we complain about our city. When you look at the homeless, when you look at the addiction, when you look at the stranger, look at them as a harvest. That God asks you, turn your eyes into the harvest. It is plentiful, and my laborers are few. The patience of God. Loving Jesus, loving people the way Jesus did, is pretty good theology. Just go and love them. The patience of God. The third narrative, let me go really quickly, is the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. The patience of the father and his trust that my son will return. Oh, what a story in Luke chapter 15 about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Well, the sheep was lost through foolishness. The coin was lost through carelessness. But the son was lost through willfulness. He willingly walked away from his father's table and he rebelled against his own father and he walked away. But in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse number 11, and following in that chapter, the son finally realized that my father is patient with me. How do you know that? When he finally realized at my father's table, there's more food for his servants. Why am I struggling in the pen of a pig? Let me go to my father's house. And when he goes at a distance, he sees the father because the father is patient for his son to return home. The patience of the father seeing his son return home. God is patient with us. He is patient with us because the gospel message of Jesus Christ if you're listening to the gospel message, the gospel of Jesus is this, my friends, that you don't have to be enslaved to sin any longer. You need to come to repentance and come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And today could be the opportune time because of the patience of God. Make today count. God is patient with you. If God had to come right now, he'll wipe us all our way. The patience of God. I know in this room today, there's many children who have wandered away from Jesus. There's many grandchildren who went off to college and wandered away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you are daily praying. I'm asking you, continue to pray that Jesus will continue to work in your children's life, in your children's children's life, 
in your spouse's life, in your neighbor's life, in your fellow workmen at work, pray that God will finally open their hearts and they will return to the house of God. There's many hurt in this room. Because let me tell you, if Satan cannot hinder your arrival in heaven, at least he will bruise you as you enter in. And there's no worse bruising than people in your family who don't know Jesus. He's patient. In these three narratives, I can draw many conclusions as a preacher. And I can say, well, it's their fault. They need to figure it out. I'm sorry you're in slavery. I'm not. I'm sorry you're stuck in Nineveh. I'm not. It's your fault. You left. Now make your own way. No. Romans chapter 6 tells us, chapter 5, chapter 6 tells us, while we were yet sinners, that means while we were yet enemies of God, He loved us. That means, that means... Your wandered son, the nation of Israel in this context, or the city of Nineveh, God loves them so much that he's patient with them that people like you will take the gospel message to them and so they'll come to know Jesus. So their suffering without the gospel depends on us whether we are lazy or obedient to share the gospel. How many of you, you one day you said, I'll never come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. What a bunch of hogwash happens on a Sunday morning. You go. I will never go. What happened to you? Your heart was finally arrested. And you came to know that God is so patient with me. I cast God out. I blamed him for my pain. I blamed him for my health. But guess what? Through God's people praying, the love of Jesus Christ finally penetrated my stubborn heart. And today I am here, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Don't you want that for your family? Don't you want that for your coworker? Don't you want that for your city? Don't you want that for the nations of this world? God is patient with us. I'm just here to remind you, my church, my brothers and sisters, we are not going to let what we see make us doubt God because what we see is a lot of bleak sin, lostness, but that does not stop me from the promise of God. It's not going to stop me. So those are the three narratives I shared with you. God is patient. Moses, go now to Israel, to Egypt. God is patient, Jonah, you go now to Nineveh. God is patient with the prodigal son. Allow me to submit to you two attributes of God. I'm coming back to the text. But two attributes of God. God is love. I cannot leave love out. God is love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8. God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I wish I could explain it even further. Look at the cross. God is love. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. But God demonstrated his own love in this. 
while we were yet sinners, he died for us. What kind of a God is that? Loving sinful people? I mean, we did some bad stuff, you know. We think some bad thoughts. We have some bad motives. As if God did not know all that. He knew all that and he still loved us. Who does not want to come to this king? Who knows everything about you? Yes, I'm going to die for you. Wow! Philip Yancey wrote in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And if you in this room thinking you are not loved by God, hear this. Philip Yancey, what's so amazing about grace? I quote, you cannot do anything more to have God love you more. You cannot do anything less to have God love you less. God loves you. God loves us. That is why he's patient with us. He's patient. He does not want us to suffer. He wants us to come to repentance. But not only God is love, the second attributes, I kind of meshed this all together because you can't leave one out. God's mercy, grace, and patience. God's mercy is grace and his patience. He's patient with us. God's mercy, patience, and grace may be three separate attributes, but I, I kind of meshed it together. L let me break it down to you, John, and, and, and the choir so, so beautifully sang. His mercy is more. Do you know what the meaning of God's mercy? This is the meaning of God's mercy. God's mercy means God's goodness toward those in misery and distress. God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. That's God's mercy. God's grace, I'm glad you asked. God's grace means God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Remember, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wage of sin is death. But by God's grace, what does it mean? It means God's goodness to those who fully deserve punishment. What about God's patience? It means God's goodness in withholding of punishment towards those over who sin over a period of time. He's patient. And if you are here today in this room, do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It hurts him, yet he's waiting for you. It bruises him. Yet he's waiting for you. It pierces him, yet he's waiting for you. It crushes him, yet he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Look on the hill. Who's there for you? You got no friends beside you. You are left all alone like the prodigal. But the father decides to stand at the gate and wait for his son to come home. His grace, his mercy, his patience is more. Oh, look at the Old Testament. God shows his, his patience, his love. Boom, parts the Red Sea, brings the people on, and they doubt him. 
He feeds them. He leads them. Then they doubt him. But look at what God does. Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 6. The Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now let's come back to the text. Peter is telling the church, don't listen to them. Jesus is coming back. And do you know why Jesus is still not back? He's patience. Or, or I can say it like this, he's got more love to give. He's patient. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ as the waters cover the earth. He's waiting for you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that children all over the world will know that Jesus is Lord. Let me ask you a question, Church of the Living God. How come Coca-Cola and McDonald's beat the church to the unreached people groups? God's vision is for the world. Those are the two attributes I submit to you. But today is about action. Action. What does it mean for us? Verse number 11 teaches us, since all these things are thus, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Live lives of holiness and godliness. My friend, let me submit to you. You cannot live a life of holiness and godliness and do not share the gospel. Let me tell you again. You cannot live a life of holiness and godliness and not share the gospel. We have a gospel given to us, transformed our lives. It's a gospel we don't keep to ourselves. It's to share to our neighbor and to the nations. And I'm asking you today, the church of Jesus Christ, the gospel transformation should encourage us to live urgent lives because no man knows the hour that Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, may he find you a going people. May he find you a gospel-sharing people. May he not find you hiding somewhere. May he find you in the master's business sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But I want to make a very important point. Please know this church that the patience of God does not give you permission to sin. The patience of God calls you to holiness and godliness. Because do not sit here today and be in church all your life and say, well, God will forgive me. Do not take the patience of God for permission to sin. He's a patient God, but he's also a God of wrath. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your, and come to Jesus. You know someone who needs Jesus. Perhaps you are here today and you know about Jesus. He's your acquaintance, but he's not your personal Lord and Savior. 
Oh, I ask you in the precious name of Jesus, God is so patient with you until right now. He's patient with you. My friends at Warrington, stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Because he has called us to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to go into the streets and share Jesus. We need to go into the offices and share Jesus. We need to go to Home Depot and Publix and Walmart and share Jesus. What I'm trying to say, make Jesus the talk of the town. Make Jesus the talk of the town. And if you are watching online, text the word Jesus to 85050, and we want to help you. Text the word Jesus to 85050. Make Jesus the talk of the town. How do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Never stop praying. We live in a city that this city needs to know Jesus. I know they say in the south there's churches everywhere, but churches don't always indicate that this place is saved. People are lost. They don't know Jesus. Never stop praying. And I'm praying today that all of Baptist Church, we're starting 20 days of prayer come January 1. We will not lack in praying and trusting God. And if you are here and your family member don't know Jesus, do you know this? Never stop sharing because God never stopped working. Jesus rose from the dead to answer your prayer. Amen? Jesus is alive because of answering your prayers. He's alive. He wants to do something, but your prayer needs to reach him. Never stop sharing. And I'm asking you today, view our city with gospel lens, with, with, with the lens of Jesus. So the people we will see will not become nuisance to us. The people will see and harvest. We will see an harvest. And that's how Jesus will turn our hearts. As John comes to play, I'm asking you today, Church of Jesus Christ, and those who are watching online, God is patient with us. You know, seated in the pew today, and you're watching online, how patient God is with you. He continues to be with you. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, I'm, 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 I'm saying, come and meet me. Let's have this conversation and let's give my life to Jesus. I'm telling you the truth. Tomorrow may be too late. As John plays, let me ask you this. Can you please help me? How many of you in your room today that you have someone in your family don't know Jesus. Won't you please stand? Anybody here? Thank you. Praise God. Anyone's trusting God today? I have a child. I have a grandchild. I have family members who don't know Jesus. You remain standing. You're going to stand in the gap today. Think very quickly of that cousin you don't want to invite for Thanksgiving. Invite him anyway and tell him about Jesus. Think about that family member who don't know Jesus. Now, can I ask you, can you think of a co-worker you have in your workplace who don't know Jesus? Won't you please stand? Thank you. You have co-workers. It, it cannot be everyone saved in your workplace. Unbelievable. Even at the church, I think someone needs to come Jesus. Okay. A anybody in your workplace, 
in your workplace, you know somebody that needs to come to know Jesus. Right. Now I'm asking you, in your neighborhood, do you know someone in your neighborhood or is your friend? We go running together. We go to restaurants together. We go on vacation together. We go to the beach together. We go to eat together. We go for a walk together. And they don't know Jesus. Anybody? Come on, stand up. If you know people, where you live, where you work, and where you play. Look at the room. Look at the room. Do you know how patient God is with you? That you have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Look, just, just look at this room. Church of Jesus Christ. Let us make Jesus the talk of the town. Amen? I'm asking you today, before you go, before you leave the premises, make an appointment on your phone to go and meet with that person or text them and tell them, you are heavy on my heart. I want to talk with you. But as everyone standing, I'm asking you, have every eye closed and, and, and head bowed. Is there someone here in this room who needs to come to know Jesus? Oh, won't you come? Oh, God has been so patient with you. Come on. Let's put the devil to shame. God has been so patient with you. And today you say, you know what? Today is my day. My friend has brought me to church. Or, you know, I've been struggling. I want to know who Jesus is. If you are here, won't you come? Make today your day you meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Thank you. Come, the altar is open. And I'm asking you today, those of us who are standing, if you want to come to the altar and pray for your children, I welcome you. Come on. Let's bring your lost friend to the altar. I'm here. I'm busy praying for my family members as I'm speaking to you. How many of you want to come to the altar and say, Lord, my child, my grandchild, my neighbor, my work, my fellow work fellow, I want them to come to know Jesus. This altar is open for you. But as I look into this room today, we have work to do, church. Let us be bold. Thank you. Thank you. Put the devil to shame. Bring the name of your child to the altar. Thank you. Yes. 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 Lord, I, I'm praying for my grandson, my grandchild, that he will return to the house of God. Yes. No looking around. Yes. Lord, I have wandered away. In, you know what, Lord? Sometimes I just stop trusting you. Today, I'm going to start trusting you again. Yes. Come to the altar and pray for those in your family who don't know Jesus. Those in your workplace don't know Jesus. Your neighbors don't know Jesus. I'm, I'm here to tell you, we have work to do. Look at this room today. We have work to do. Praise Jesus. As you are, keep on coming. Johnny is singing for us.